delicious green penis. Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called The Darkness and the Light. It's the 11th episode of the fifth season, aired on January 6, 1997. Teleplay goes to Ronald D. Moore. Story credit goes to uh, Star Trek Discovery co-creator Brian Fuller, directed by Michael Vehar. In this episode, a hidden enemy systematically murders Kira's old resistance comrades. We're joined by Clay, as always. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Brian Fuller coming out of the gate swinging with a morality tale featuring a uh, transporter toasting mm-hmm. and shooting of a pregnant woman. <laughs> I like he's, his style. He's, yeah, he, um, he, they didn't let him rename Kiro with a male name, unfortunately. That was the one change they made to his <laughs> script. But other than that, yeah, Brian Fuller. Um, I don't think I've seen his name on a DS9 credit. He did a couple yeah, of them. So. He wrote a couple of Voyagers, I think, as well. And then I think he's got a couple more DS9 in them before all, all is said and done. But... We're here to talk about a Kira episode. It's fe- it feels like it's been a while since we've had a Kira episode. I don't know what the last one is, but it was a little bit surprising. Well, I mean, it's not surprising with her pregnancy and everything that I think they're pretending she's still pregnant at this point. But um, yeah, it's it's Kira. Do, do you have anything to say about Kira before we get into this? Uh, no. Yeah, she's been kind of off the board for a while. So um, yeah, throw her nice back to in. See her back. All right, we're gonna take a break. Plan. She's audio. got better hair in this episode. They've, I feel like they've done a couple episodes in a row where her hair has been consistent and fine. <laughs> I don't know why they keep changing it, but it's like every episode she's in, she has different hair. Yeah. Executive notes, right? These women need to look look better. What do we need to do? It's, I, I imagine women's hair is kind of like tinkering with audio. You're never quite happy with it, and you just kind of like, yeah, I think I'll change it a little bit. Well, I did also notice that they took the opportunity with the new suit design to, uh, I think, tighten up. Uh, Terry Farrell's uniform just a hair. Oh, sure. Yeah. We had the rough draft in the last episode because everyone was a little bit boxy, but now it's a little bit more form-fitting. They had yeah. they had some tailors come in and uh, fix it, and Garrick had, uh, had to go at it. Anyway, we're going to take a break, play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back and break down the darkness and the light. None of you belonged on Bajor. It wasn't your world. For 50 years, you raped our planet, and you killed our people. You lived on our land, and you took the food out of our mouths, and I don't care whether you held a phaser in your hand, or you ironed shirts for a living. You were all guilty, and you were all legitimate targets. And that's what makes you a murderer. Indiscriminate killing. No sense of morality. No thought given to the consequences of your action. That's what makes us different. I was a soldier. You're just a bitter old man out for revenge. I am bringing the guilty to justice. And unlike you, I take care to protect the innocent. All right, Clay, I don't know if you recognize them, but this episode brings back uh, people who are in Akira's resistance cell, the Shikar mm-hmm. cell, and they were in mm-hmm. that Shikar episode, I think, was the last time we saw him, the, the guy and the woman who get blown up in this episode. Uh, but Unfortunately, I want... Shikar also does not get blown up in this episode. No, he was supposed to be on this one, but budgetary reasons, they could not bring him back. But what do you think, um, do you think Miles O'Brien has any regrets at this point? He's obviously not going to have a threesome <laughs> with Kira and his wife, and now he's uh-huh. he, she's bringing home house guests who draw weapons on him when he walk in and get his house blown up when they are hanging yeah. out in his uh, living room. Yeah, uh, I feel like he probably had 
recourse to be a little bit more mad at her in this episode than he was. He was pretty level level headed about everything. Yeah. Um, they have the one scene but, that's supposed to ostensibly um, him be talking sense into her that she's pregnant and she can't go down. And he comes across as pretty mild considering that his child is inside of her and she wants to go down and uh, shoot somebody. And then she does it anyway. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he's not a part of the uh, the ending boarding party that goes and rescues no. her. But yeah, he, you... does, he doesn't need to be, though. I think that, I mean, that was, that was fine for a scene, but I don't think they need to make that the point of the episode. No, no. What you, would you think of Darkness and the Light? I thought it was great. I really liked this episode. Um, I thought the, the murder mystery part worked really well. Um, even though 90% of the action happens off screen, uh, I thought that the stuff that they, you, you know, it was all working with stuff they'd established previously. So it instantly made sense and it instantly had weight to it because it was a lot of uh, 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 character work from Kira and stuff from her past that we're familiar with. Um, so you didn't really need to see the the gorier stuff, although you do get plenty of gory stuff. But uh, The transporter gore is pretty, pretty yeah, intense. Yeah, that was intense. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was very surprised at the uh, charred corpse that they ended up having there. <laughs> Bashir just um, throws the blanket over it when Kira walks yeah. in. Like, yeah. <laughs> Just having that conversation for like a while without the blanket over the body, and then Cisco's like, "Oh shit!" and puts the blanket over the body. Um, I the only thing that I was worried about was the ending because it was one of those episodes where I checked the time and it was about twelve minutes left, and I was like, "Oh, they're gonna have to wrap this up pretty quick." This almost feels like it should be a two-parter. Um, and then when they got when they got to the final sequence. I was worried that it was going to be more um, <clears throat> a more cliche wrap up and it was just going to be like, oh, we found the guy. It's this guy. It's kind of unsatisfying. And here we are. But they ended up using have, using the opportunity to tell a really interesting uh, point of view argument as far as the violence of the Cardassian War and uh, occupation goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that stuff was great. Uh, and I even really liked the callback to the sedative thing because I, I wasn't they it was so subtle at the beginning. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me until she asked for the sedative, like, oh shit, right. It's not going to do anything to her. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how she knew he was going to turn off that force field first. Yes. Uh, There was quite a leap of, I guess, I mean, I guess, you know, you win either way, either you, um, well, no, because she wouldn't have been knocked out. So yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say you either get knocked out and you never wake up or you get knocked out and he takes the thing off and you punch him, but he did, she didn't get knocked out. That was the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So she did take quite a chance in doing that. Worked out for her. He, he's he's fortunate that he needs to get rid of the force field. I guess maybe he can't use his scalpel while the force field is there or something like that. But uh, sure, all, all very all very twisted and uh, depraved and everything. And I think that um, I like the episode. I think that my I think the big change that I wish had kind of happened was I think that the ending is so strong between the two of them that the spending a lot of time on the thriller aspect of her trying to, it's sort of, it reminds me very much of the Saw movies. Like it's him saying, I want to play a game, Kira, with mm-hmm. uh, with Kira and she, she's trying to track down what's happening. I don't, I don't really have a problem with any of that. I think it's all fine. It works in terms of being like a 90s TV sort of trope. And I, I my attention was held the entire time. Uh, the sort of, I think the cinematography in this episode is really nice when Kira's laying on the chair in sickbay. Uh, that scene, I think that that looks mm. really nice. But really, I loved the uh, the one shot of uh, when she's in that force field at the end. There's this really nice shot of the whole room, 
where they're only lighting her and they're only lighting the guy in silhouette in the doorway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta rip that off. That's a great panel, this panel to, uh, composition. Yeah, they they did a really good job with. I mean, it's such a the thematically, it's such an interesting sort of ending and. Uh, I guess I'll just I'll I'll plow through the early. I guess we might as well get the early stuff out of the way. Like I liked mm-hmm. I liked the thriller aspect of it. I liked the tape. I really liked the use of Nog in this that he can hear yes. the voices. Yeah, I thought that was great. Um, and I think that everything looks great. I think everyone has really great moments. Worf on the uh, when Worf and Dax have their moment talking about how she got outplayed at Tongo by that guy. I thought that's a great scene between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf I also is, really Worf liked- is very funny in it. Yeah, I also really like the other Worf scene where Cisco tells him to shut up. Yes, <laughs> Cisco overreacts slightly, but I thought that was great. I thought that was really yeah. great yelling at Worf, like, you know what the fuck I just told you to do? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. And it's also a nice kind of meta comment on the amount of techno babble that they spew in these episodes. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I was pretty happy with the entire thing. I thought it was all really well acted. I thought that it's believable. You get to bring back some characters that we haven't seen in a while. That Everyone gets sort of blown up off screen. And eventually you kind of hit the point of like, when is this going to get to anywhere? Did you have any thoughts about the thriller aspect before we get to really the meat of this? Um, not really. I thought it was pretty well done. Um, you know, it, it sounds like it held uh, your attention the entire. Yeah, it sounds like it held your sort of wondering what's going on the entire time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I didn't think it was going to be um I really liked the the message thing that she was getting and when they when you know when they decoded the message that it turned out it was her voice and they were, you know, I liked that stuff a lot. Um I will say I, it was I, I thought, that that message was the one that they play, the first one she gets before the cold open, she plays it a bunch of times and I still wasn't exactly sure what the voice was saying by the end of it. Did yeah, it, I I assumed it was he was saying that's one. That's one, yeah. 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 Um, but you know, they, they, they follow that up with the, the, the subsequent ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it worked really well. It was, it was one of those things where it was, um, I think a lot of the work is done for you based on the previous episodes and the, and the amount that they've built up that character, you know, uh, I, I don't know if they had done this episode in like the first season that it would come off as well. Cause you've got a lot of. Um, you know who Kira is, you know who, what she did during the war. Um, and they don't, the meat of the episode is not really who is the person doing this. It's more of like, uh, uh, she's trying to stop it, but it's sort of a, a point of reflection for, for her, her time in the resistance and her role as a resistance fighter. Yeah. And I think that's important when you when you tell these sorts of stories because if your if your only driving point is uh, who is the person doing this, then I think you're in for not a very good story because nine times out of ten that's that does not satisfy. Yeah, um, it's more of a it's more of a why. It's more of a how is this affecting the character? Um, what is this bringing out of the character? Um, that stuff is really engaging, and I think they did a good job with it here. This because uh, to tie into this guy, this guy kind of turns into a um, what the hell is the the main bad guy in the new Star Wars that gets killed? Why can't ever think of his name? Snoke. Snoke. Yeah, he kind of turns into a little bit of a Snoke. He's just a he was just a servant in the main bad guy's uh, mansion, basically. When all this happened, he, I he's <laughs> he's kind of hard to really 
wrap your mind around, honestly. If you if you look at the character that they give you at the end and put it in the context of everything he's done previous to this, um, it doesn't make a ton of sense because he's a crippled crazy person who worked as a butler in the mansion of like a senator or a gull or whatever they are. Yeah, gull. Um, and now he understands how to track people with hunter-killer drones and insert them into droids or whatever, or into religious sacrifices. Or, I'm sorry, not um, ceremonies. Ceremonies. And uh, uh, also how to create these coded messages and stuff. Like, I, I don't know where all this, this move set comes from. Or the skill set comes from, so there might be a bit of a disconnect there. But, a lot of uh, a lot of extremely lethal tech in this episode that seems yeah. very easy to get your hands on. Yeah, these hunter drones seem like they are the perfect weapon. They do, you can pretty much do whatever you want with them. You just send them after somebody, and they'll either blow up the outside of the station or shoot them in the chest. Yeah, it would have been a little bit cleaner maybe if they had given him a more tech based job at the mansion. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think he says he was like a like a butler or something, right? He, did, he, he, was, just he, a, he, he was a janitor. That's he, what it was. He was a janitor. He does laundry. It's even more specific. He just washes yeah. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, which they specifically do, obviously, to to make him a very innocent bystander in the in the uh, ensuing situation that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if you if you really wanted to tie up that loose end, which isn't really that important, but if you wanted to, giving him some sort of tech job on site as like. I don't know. He fixes the cable or something. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. something something that gives you a, a l- bridges that gap a little bit. But honestly, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, because it all kind of fades away by the time you get there. I, I was similarly thinking of the point that like what he does in this makes murder seem like it's extremely easy in Star Trek yeah, universe. And he like, does it apparently all by himself. Yes. Yeah. There's no no aid. I I would have also could have gone the same way of um if he was getting Cardassian government assistance somehow. You know, if that yeah. if that sort of played into it, it doesn't really matter, as you say, because uh, it's not really the point. The the so moving into the end, my main my main criticism of the episode is that I think that the end is so strong that they take a little bit too long to get to it. As you were saying, mm-hmm. like by the time you you're hitting the watch and you're like, geez, there's only like eight minutes left. Like they, they got to wrap some of this stuff up. The ending scene is very strong. It borderline. Uh, they do a good job of making him crazy. So the way that he's talking comes across a little bit more believably than because some of his dialogue is pretty um, absurd, but he is he is insane. So th- that covers that base. And I think that they, the really important thing that it does here is that both of them have a point of view that is legitimate, and neither mm-hmm. one really comes out the end of, end of the episode being the right point of view to have right. like and, right. and you can really draw your own conclusion about whether or not what kira did was appropriate kira herself never repents in this which is interesting she never has a come to jesus moment where she's like i'm sorry for what i did it was all horrible she sticks to her guns the entire time as she's dealing with this guy and i think that's the most important part of it and it's really just you know it's building up the kira thing how how guilty should they feel what's the cardassian point of view and what's kira's point of view and who actually has a right or wrong in that uh, sort of argument yeah, the closest she comes is she she says, "Hey man, we didn't want to kill people." Mm-hmm. But she never comes out and apologizes for it, and I mean neither does he either. Similarly, um, it's a very Cardassian line. D- Ducat always says that he none of them wanted to kill the Bajorans. They were like the Bajorans right. are bringing it on themselves, yeah. Well, I mean it's the it's a um, rationalization ca- for Yeah, it's a, in a, a kinder version of the f- of the famous Nazi rationalization which was i was just doing my job yes. you know it, yep. it's there's there is a compartmentalization of that stuff that happens um 
And on her end, she, you know, the, the belief that what she was doing was ultimately right trumps any sort of, apparently trumps any sort of uh, uh, guilt or remorse she has about her actions. Even though by the end, I think, I think, I think you could take away from this at the end that she does definitely have remorse about what she did, but like I said, it does, it is trumped by, she felt like it was the thing that she had to do. Yeah. Her last, um, her last lines are that she, uh, that's what's this guy's name. His name is Pren. Uh, the Kardashian is Pren. He hadn't realized that the light only shines in darkness and innocence is often just an excuse for the guilty. I preferred mm. the innocence is often just an excuse for the guilty line than light only shines in the darkness. Um, but I think it's a little bit more profound. But yeah, she does come to a point. Like a rainbow in the dark, you might say. <laughs> uh, innocence often is just an excuse for the guilty. I think is a really clever line. I think that works really well. Um, do you have any personal inkling? Say, say you're in this situation. Who actually is right in this case? I was trying to think about it and trying to come up mm. with like a rationalization for it and i think that kira has a better standing on what would be like ethically true in a way mm-hmm. like i think that the bajoran resistance killing civilians is more ethically right than the cardassian point of view like mm. the if you are a cardassian right and you're just a civilian but you are on bajor on an occupied world you yep. kind of have you don't have a lot of standing there. The only thing I could think about is killing kids seems to be wrong. But mm-hmm. if you are, <laughs> seems if you to be, seems to be, if you're a servant for the Cardassians, you're kind of in a war zone and you should kind of expect what's going to happen out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that, that's my takeaway. Did you think anything about it? Well, on the, in the, by the same token, I think if you were in the, the, uh, the foot, <laughs> foot shoes, if you were in the shoes <laughs> of the, uh, of the servant there, I think you could make, instead of going directly toward revenge, I think you could reflect and say, well, they did kill, they did end up killing the gull and his entire family, and his entire family were all innocents, but they wouldn't have been here if the Cardassians weren't occupying the planet. Yes. Or, and even so, even if they were, he knows what kind of place this is. He didn't have to bring his family here. And I mean, Clearly, I'm on the side of the the freedom fighter. I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think uh, I think Prin makes the point that the bomb was excessive. Like they didn't just target mm-hmm. the right. goal. Because yeah, because his because he says that in in the way that he executes all of Kira's friends, he does it very specifically. He's going. He, he doesn't kill anybody else. And also the the whole end sequence is him attempting to save the baby so he can kill Kira. Yes. Yeah. He is, he is, his point is all consuming. I'm going to make a differentiation between those in the darkness and those in the light, those yeah. who have sinned and deserve to die and those who don't. And, you know, I think he's, he's probably ignoring this, the system of power that was in place. You know, it, it's, it's a little bit easier to, to look at it that way when you are the ruling body who's being, uh, attacked whereas you know the the bajorans probably didn't have that technology to do that or they needed to you know you got it sometimes you have to burn down the house if you want to kill the kill the one spider you know yeah. that's what i always say <laughs> the, that's why i've lived in many different houses over the years <laughs> that's why my insurance rates uh, my premiums are skyrocketing mm-hmm. 
I, I think so. I think and that I, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not condoning the uh, murder of spiders, the, the, the murder of uh, innocent people here. <laughs> but you know, I like. I think if you're just looking at this particular situation, yeah, I think Kira is probably more sympathetic than he is. Yeah. See, I, I think that kind of ties. Kinda, sorry, I was just going to say it's kind of it's kind of similar to that that argument in Clerks. When they talk about all of the the uh, like the sanitation workers on the Death Star who got mm-hmm. blown up, mm-hmm. it's kind of similar to that, only not as funny. Right? They 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 took his contract and they knew what they were signing up for. So I think that my my uh, concern with the episode would be that they don't really ever figure out what the mission is that this guy is seeking revenge for. Like they know that it was something specific that Kira and that group did, but they don't really know exactly what it was until the end when he reveals what it is. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish you had spent more time with them aware of what the specific incident was so that Kira and her friends could maybe have a conversation about it a little Mm. bit. And I think that if they touched on it and they kind of went over in their heads, maybe they're now at a different point in their life where they're post- terrorism and they're sort of post the war where they can have a different point of view about like did what we do was what we did excessive sort of and if they had that conversation you can kind of go into the ending scene with this guy where i feel that the bajoran point of view is a little bit weakened at that point like the the cardassian has a little bit better of a position if these guys also think that what they did was no good i don't know if that's necessary but I, I feel that the the early thirty minutes kind of lack the really important um, like thematic morality tale that they're mm. trying to tell here, and mm. because they stockpile it all towards the end, I feel like you could really flesh it out a little bit more before getting there. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised that it it, it didn't have something to do with that uh, uh, transport raid that she that the story that she tells. Yes, uh, and when she's in the infirmary. Especially because she's got that earring piece that's made out of a piece of the ship, and it was like this high point for her and, you know, uh, this point of pride. I was surprised it wasn't linked to that more, because that at least gives you a direct line where she feels pride about what she did in this situation. Yeah. Um, and is now being confronted with the consequences of her actions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really... That might have been too easy, though. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's a, a toss-up between... Because, uh, I mean, that's more of a military thing. Whereas just bombing the dude's house is a lot more of a terrorist action. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that they, I think it, I think it comes together nicely in the end. These are really yeah, just kind of so. nitpicks on everything because I think the points, the thematic points, is more important than anything. And I think that they do a pretty good job. It's pretty, it's pretty gruesome. I like the imagery of the darkness and the light between them. I like the way that she's lit and he's sort of loitering around in the shadows around her. And the uh, the threat of cutting her open to get the baby out is kind of horrific yeah, for Star Trek. That was intense. Brian Fuller, uh, I don't know if that's specifically Brian Fuller's idea, but that seems to be he he seems to like that kind of um, gruesomeness because he did uh, Hannibal, right, or Lecter? What was right. it? Hannibal, yep. yeah. So yep. he, he tends to like that kind of stuff. Does that does that also mean he's probably behind? The more gruesome, beheading of the baby scenes from Discovery. <laughs> Probably, he wants more dead Klingons on this thing. I think. <laughs> Chop him up. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was good, and I think that the other thing that you know, since we're teetering back and forth between Discovery and this show at the same time, I mm-hmm. kind of noticed different things about DS Nine now. The the scenes between characters at this point are really strong. 
with each yeah, other. They the, really are. the Odo and Kira scene where he does not want to give her the names right away. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of subtext there. They kind of touch on it a little bit and make it um, not subtext and make it actually textual. But they they do they do a lot with the acting between these guys. And Cisco is very good at this point. Worf is excellent. Dax and Worf are very funny with each other. Even Quark has this one little scene where he's like, I didn't mean to look at your thing. It was just turned on when I touched the button. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think they're good. And they even use nog effectively his ears and everything like that but the show's really confident at this point is what i guess what i'm trying to say yeah absolutely um yeah they don't need much to get uh to get good stuff out of these guys at this point um you know because we as we've been saying for a long time they the character they're so well aware of who these char- characters are that you can just throw them into a scene together and instantly everybody has their own point of view that uh that comes across pretty well do you um, do you think that so to tie off of that, do you think that is the show hitting a point where the storyline and themes feel redundant for the characters? You know what I mean? Because this is this is uh, yet another one of Kira's terrorism stories. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel that it's turning over like a new rock and it's looking under something that we haven't seen before? Or do you think that it's kind of repetitive at this point? And it doesn't just tie into Kira, but it could tie into anybody. Um... I don't think quite yet. I think they're probably pushing the em- pushing to the edge of the paper here. As far <laughs> that's not something people say. <laughs> um, making up new slogans here on Penske File. Um, I think they're probably uh, the bottom of the barrel. That's what I'm looking for. Um, as far as the things you can do with with Kira as a freedom fighter without really moving her forward about it. Yeah. Like I feel like the the next. M- move for her would probably be to distance herself from that stuff even more um instead of constantly like hard i don't know i i i'd be i'll be interested to see where they go with her but i feel like yeah they're kind of in a pocket where the the stuff that they do with her with the terrorist stuff you can only do so many times what i what i liked about this is this was sort of almost like an inverse of uh at least the last handful of minutes was sort of an inverse of duet to an extent. Yep. Very similar. Um, which I think is a great, uh, a great move to have that same sort of, uh, character back and forth, but flip the script on, on Kira. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see, especially now that all of her friends are dead and her links to the resistance are kind of gone now because it doesn't really exist anymore. Right, there's not much of a reunion um, at this point. It's it's basically it's it, her high school reunion is getting uh, long in the tooth at this point. There's not many people showing up anymore. Yeah, there's only there's only two fighting hellfish left. That's right. That's, um <laughs> go Bajor. Hey. <laughs> the uh uh yeah, I mean, so I think I guess the next step with this story would be some sort of story with her and Shakar where they end up going their separate ways in some sense where his politics start going against her. Po- I don't know. Yeah. Um, he clings to the old ways, I would think. And Kira would have to move towards the new um, arc there because I, you know, well, or, or the other way you can do it is they, they both have, it's kind of like, uh, 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 you know, when you when you reconnect with someone you dated in high school, sure. where it's like you had a lot of stuff in common in high school, but now you don't really have anything in common anymore. So I could see them doing that sort of thing where it's like they have this connection that's based on the time they spent together 
it as part of the resistance. But now Kira's thinking this way, Shikar's thinking this other way, and this history of violence, for lack of a better expression, um, has less and less of a of, of a, uh, a pertinent impact on on how they react to each other and to everyone around them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think because you got to move forward with that stuff eventually, right? You do. I, I think that I don't know if you've noticed it at this point, but DS9 does something sort of interesting with its stories that the other shows didn't really do, which is that they have a couple of ideas that they've done earlier, and they kind of say like, well, the show is better now. How about we just kind of tweak the idea a little bit Mm -hmm. and redo it with a different story? I would say that this is what duet is, sort of. This is what they they took the duet idea and they kind of turned it into this. Uh, Mm -hmm. The ship that we watched er earlier in the season is going to get redone next season as a very similar idea with a different point of view towards it. Um, And I think it's a good, I think it's a clever idea for a show that runs as long as this, where you keep the characters somewhat consistent and you repeat storylines, but you do them differently enough where they don't feel like they're just a retread. Like it's a sort of you, you look at the other side of the coin in a way. And I think that the show, the show gets a little bit of extra mileage out of that because the ideas feel familiar and you're grounded with the characters and you kind of already understand the concept of what they're talking about. It's just a different way of looking at it. Are you talking about Deep Space Nine ring theory, Wes? Uh, well, I mean, I haven't patented the name yet, but yes, that is that mm. is indeed what I'm talking about. Look, uh, look forward to our 45-page uh, internet write-up about Star Trek Deep Space Nine ring theory in size nine font, single space, it, <laughs> coming stands. to an Angel Fire website near you. <laughs> no, but but I, I I agree with what you're saying. I I think it's. Uh, yeah, I think it gives you a good opportunity to to do these sort of mirroring situations like this, as long as it doesn't feel like you, you know, like you said, like you're just retreading a a, a previous situation. Yeah. If you can take a similar situation and change the perspective a little bit, um, in a way that emphasizes the characters that you you've in, included in it, and whether or not they're they were in the previous one or whatever, I think that's yeah, I think that's great to do. I mean, I think I I appreciate that. More than I do um, when you're just do like I, I don't want to keep harping on Discovery, but like when Discovery does an episode where they're just taking a TNG plot and just doing it again, but not as good. But then we go, oh, that was pretty good because it was basically a TNG plot that they just repurposed and you know added Harry Mudd to. Yep. Um, I think. I think that's more disingenuous than than when you do it inside the your own show and you you kind of have a, a point to to retread some stuff. So. Yes, and also just that the if you take an idea from the first or second season in the show, there's no way you can't do it better. You know, like there's no right. way that the no right. one's going to be like, oh, this was this was better when they did it in season two because that was a better year of the show and everything. Like the everything about the production is better, so the story that comes out of it feels like a new, better version, even if it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of times in shows like this where you have a villain or something where the first time you did it, they showed up in the first season and it was kind of like, I like there was potential there, but they didn't really do anything great with it. And then later on, they bring him back to a a much, much greater effect, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The writers um, writers are sort of blind to what the actor is going to bring to something potentially. And then they're like, oh, this is how this guy does it. We can actually write him Mm -hmm. more appropriately. That's my biggest argument against the idea of uh, our, our our mutual friend Sean, not Murphy, different Sean. Yep. Uh, we've I think we've talked about this before. Is a 
a very uh, huge proponent of the idea that a television show should be written from beginning to end completely before you start shooting it. Just like, like which, Babylon 5 is famously right, considered. Which yeah. is most of the time impossible to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the, the – and while I understand where he's coming from because a lot of shows that don't do that tend to run off the rails eventually. He, he was also a big fan of Lost, and that might be coloring his yes. perspective. Yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> um but I think one of the big drawbacks to that is you don't leave yourself open for happy accidents like this, like where, uh, what is it, Breaking Bad, uh, Jesse was supposed to die at, at the end of the first season. Yeah. And until, uh, what's his name, uh, the actor whose name escapes me? Uh, Aaron um, Paul. Aaron Paul. Uh, until he came in and knocked it out of the park and created this character that became integral to the whole series. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that the it, it's another thing that I think DS Nine does pretty well. It's a there they they have a sort of goal in mind, but it's very mm. improvisational in how they get to that yeah. point. And I think Breaking I think, Bad is the peak of that doing that. Way. Yeah, I think that's the 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 sweet spot is you know know where you're going, what whether that's series wide or at the very least season wide. Um. But don't be so stringent with your details that you can't allow for for happy accidents. Right. You have to write each episode as its own logical extension of the next one and then slowly drive towards your end goal. It's tough to do. It's the opposite of the note cards on the board thing where you're like, you have to get to here by the end of the episode. You have to get to here by the end of this one. <laughs> I. So uh, I was watching this. Uh, um, there's this documentary on Netflix about Orson Welles' final movie that never got released that they just recently released. Um. And there's this amazing interview with him that he's doing because he was constantly raising money. He was shooting this thing on and off over for like almost a decade, I think. It's completely insane. And basically every interview he did was just him talking up this movie that no one was going to see and trying to raise money and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yep. And he, there's this amazing quote from him where someone asked him about how it was different, how the style of it was different from his previous movies. And he, and he said, well... The greatest scenes in movies are almost always happy accidents. It's not usually what's written on the page. It's not usually what the director has in mind. It's something that comes organically from all of these three things working together that you don't expect, and it creates something new. Yep. So my goal for this movie is to do an entire movie full of happy accidents. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you you can't do that, but it, it, it's it's completely the antithesis of the concept. But okay, it's a noble goal, a noble art house yeah. goal. I think, yeah, that, yeah, that's a very art house film. I think is what you would come out uh, from Mr. Wells there at that point in his career and everything. It's also um, he's he was also obviously successful and lucky enough where he thinks he could potentially just have a lot of happy accidents in a row and things would turn out okay. I also think he was a master bullshit artist. Yeah, uh, yeah, he. I think he was a, a genius, but I also think he was a carny. So sure, sure. I always Which, um, you, get, you have to be in in, the, in that industry, you know. The the like the main thing, the second thing I think about Orson Welles besides the movies director. Do, do you remember the the family or the critic TV show, the cartoon? Oh yes, they have the, yeah. they have the thing where he's sh- shooting a commercial for like frozen peas, and, uh-huh. and he, he has the joke about like mm, delicious green penis. Oh wait, that's terrible! And then he walks off the walks off the set. <laughs> I just I always think about that mm, delicious green penis. Um, 
<laughs> That's about it. I think we're done talking about this one. I think we're done talking about I, Darkest I hope White. you do me a solid in response to the I can't wait to do Catherine Bigelow line and start this show <laughs> with you saying mm, delicious green penis. <laughs> I'll put a note down, see if I can get the edit in. Uh, I think we're going to take a break. We are going to play a clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about the darkness and the light. She's fine. There's a large amount of Murphidon in her system. Murphidon? It's a sedative. But the Makara herb she's been taking have counteracted the effect. I take it this is our assassin. Why did he give you a sedative? He wanted to protect the innocent. and separate the darkness from the light. But he didn't realize. The light only shines in the dark. And sometimes innocence is just an excuse for the guilty. All right, guys. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave comments about upcoming episodes and we'll read them on the podcast and react to them. We have uh, Holly McLaughlin says the darkness and the light. We never get the sense that Kira has left her past entirely behind. So it's good to get an episode where she has to deal with some of those consequences directly and somewhere other than in her own psyche. Moving on, we have Christian Pouch. Yep. Says kind of sucks to bring back all these former friends of Kira's just to kill them off. Would have liked to have seen more of them. Get some more development before you kill them. I think this also begs the question, if some dude can use these hunter probes to such effect, how come they aren't more common? They're apparently mm. undetectable and can do all sorts of crazy shit. Just release a swarm into an enemy shipyard and have them crawl onto the warp core. Finally, does this episode miss an opportunity to have a deeper comparison and discussion of Silurin Prin and Kira's actions? They don't really get into it until the last act, and it's not really the focus. I wonder if it should have been. I, feel like I also was surprised that the her friends, they just don't show up again. I mean, they get blown up off screen, but there's really only one scene with them. I, I was very surprised that they were they were out of the store that quickly. Yeah, it's a it's also a scene that doesn't really fuel the story of the narrative of the episode, you know, because no. they don't know what they're talking about at that point. They're just kind of showing up as like, hey, great to see you. Good to see you. Um, also, that extra who plays the Bajoran security guard gets, uh, he acts the fuck out of this. He, he really throws <laughs> his all into every line that he's given with his neck rubbing as he gets clubbed down and him sort of like saying major and everything. Also, do you, do ahead, you think ahead. that it would have been better if the people who had been killed were just her friends? I guess it doesn't really matter because I think it still works. But like they're in it, so like you're saying, their their appearance in it was not really did not really move the story forward at all. Um, I well, I guess I guess placing them where they where they do makes sense because that's when the friends get together and can talk about it a little bit. But yeah, they're just in it so quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's almost. I mean, and they also don't telegraph the fact that they've seen those characters before. It's really the fan watching this series right. that would remember those two from a previous episode and everything. But they mm-hmm. are very. It, it is odd. I feel that they could have gone into more of those with those two, but I think that it's effective for what it is. Also, shout out to that stuntman in that first scene who got blasted by the, uh, you know, the the, the pro- droid, yeah, in, the droid yeah. thing. Man, doing that that stunt where he's on his knees and then they ja- jack him back into the background <laughs> yeah. as as though he just got blasted with a, a disruptor or whatever. Yep, yep. Holy shit. Some that, wire work, I'm assuming, right? You just tie a wire to the guy and pull him like that? Yeah, but yeah. he's on his knees. Yeah. Like yeah. you how does you're you have to like get your legs out from underneath <laughs> you so you don't 
tear your <laughs> hips apart. I was impressed by that stunt. They don't, they never yeah. show the knockback of stuff like that on Star Trek quite that way, and it was pretty impressive. And it, yeah, and it, it wasn't just the usual just sort of like he falls over thing. He got fucking blasted. <laughs> Kyle Barrett says, Ronald D. Moore loves this episode and its moral ambiguity, claiming that both Kira and Prin are right and wrong, but I don't think that's explored enough. The decision to have Prin be so crazy and clearly psychotic negates much of the resonance in his arguments that he and the episode are making. Sure, Kira has to ultimately come across as the one in the right, and I don't want her to apologize or anything silly like that. But I feel that the episode picks her side for too much of the runtime, and her speech at the end seems to imply that she's learned little from the episode. We know Kira enough now that we understand how headstrong she is and that she won't change her mind, but the least the episode could have done is to add another piece of insight to Kira's past and how she views her actions. By the end, nothing has changed, and so it feels kind of useless. The episode is solid, but I feel it could have been so much more, maybe even duet-level good, but where that previous episode allowed Kira to become compassionate as well as headstrong, here she's purely the latter, which stops her from truly exploring the interesting subject matter. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. What do you disagree with? I I think you can make the argument that she does understand more about her point of view and the actions by that last line at the end. Yeah. I don't think the line, the line about the innocence covering for guilt thing is exclusive to the other guy. Do you, I mean, I, maybe to, I'll play devil's advocate for Kyle here. Would you say that it's just too little too late to have it be the last line of the episode reveal anything about Kira? I, I guess. I don't know. I, I, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily think that you need to be super explicit about it. Um, because the the discussion they're having isn't one that the writers are trying to make a point about. Uh, they're just sort of giving you the the morally gray argument and you kind of are left to make the decision yourself. Yeah. So I, I like that Kira's point of view at the end is not she doesn't like have a long-winded scene where she talks about how she's had a change of heart and stuff like that yes um and i like that line because i think you can you can interpret that line as her applying it to herself as much as she's applying it to the other guy yeah i would if i were to disagree with kyle i think would be the um that she comes across as the one in the right. I don't really think she does in this. Yeah. Um, just by happenstance of being a main character, she kind of does. And I think that the Bajoran argument is stronger than the Cardassian argument. But I think mm. that I think that neither really does a great job of trouncing the other arguments. They're they're both kind of equal footing um, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, if that guy hadn't been insane and trying to cut a baby out of her. Uh, it might be a little bit, you might have a tougher time rooting against him. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of, he's a little Killmonger-esque if you really want to get into it. Sure. Check out our coverage of Black Panther on Real Ripe and Real Rotten. Will Yates says, but, I think this is a great episode and that it hangs together really well. I was blown away by the gruesomeness of the prop used as the body of the woman killed in the transporter. It really, really looked like she was burnt and torn from the inside. The way the killer systematically took the joy out of Kira's life was chilling. I figure he must have been watching and planning this for years, and the pregnancy was the one element he couldn't predict. Otherwise, Kira's fucking dead. The one thing is, I'm not sure to say no to a guy t- killing people every now... I'm not sure I'd say no to a guy killing people every now and again if he asked me to iron his shirt. Then getting blown up for it would really suck. I mean, think of the Cardassians, uh, think of what Cardassia is like now for civilians and imagine what it was like when the military was more powerful. They were still killing their own people during the occupation. I could see how a person might break after that kind of experience. War is hell. Matthew Ross says, final comment, darkness and the light. Can you hear the lambs cry, Nerese? Essentially, silence of the lambs like in 
essentially Science of the Lambs like and getting rid of side characters. It was interesting how all the ancillary people in Kira's life are rubbed out and the eventual payoff was to me satisfying. It wasn't some high-end Ducat-driven plan, but the butler with the heart for vengeance or revenge. As the butler talked in the third person, all you can hear is it will put the lotion on its skin. It also showed blurred the lines of soldiering and terrorism definitions. Uh, it also showed and blurs the line of soldiering and terrorism's definitions. Although Kira's ability to kick butt being as pregnant as he was is questionable, it was enjoyable with the rest of the cast being secondary on her quest for revenge. I want to see this version of Silence of the Lambs he's playing in his head where Buffalo Bill is apparently out for revenge against freedom fighters? <laughs> <laughs> well, Great freedom, fat freedom fighters, free, freedom, freedom fighting tends to dry out the skin. Uh, <laughs> you're always in like desert sort of environments, I think. And so you need to put a lot of lotion on it. Oh, one, one last kind of non sequitur question. I don't know if we've covered this and I don't ask me why I thought of it in this episode. Do you think the replicator works on resynthesizing human waste? like to get rid of it no to like it it basically it takes it takes the shit and then it like synthesizes out the elements that it that go into that from the food that had been made previously and then resynthesizes food based basically recycles it right so how they like when they are finished with their replicated meal they put the dishes back into the replicator is that what you're talking yeah about? same way so like you know the toilet all leads down to the machine that functions with the replicator. Yeah. And there's this giant recycling plant down there that turns all of the shit in the in the space station back. I mean, it would be very efficient if no, that's I, how it worked. Yeah, it's it's uh, whatever the Newton's law of conservation of energy, I think, is yeah. the, the thing there. They are just taking matter and turning it into energy and then re-eating it. I don't know why this is the first time I thought of it, but I was like, you know, I feel like the replicator is just a lot of empty calories. Is there any <laughs> nutritional value to anything that you're getting from the replicator? Yeah. And then I was thinking, well, I mean, if you if you are resynthesizing it based on stuff that they've eaten already, there's an element of let. And I just started way down a rabbit hole. So. <laughs> Your stomach's gurgling as you're watching the episode. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Um, I think we're done with that one. So, Clay, on our scale of one to five, what are you going to give uh, the light and the darkness? Uh, I'll give it a four. You're giving it a four. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm in a tough spot. I think I... Do, 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 do I want to give it a four? I think I'll give it a three. I think, I, I think it's a really strong three for me. I really love the ending. I love all the work and everything. It's really mm. just the... Uh, the thriller aspect. I wish they had fleshed that out. Kind of like I, I'm kind of in agreement with Christian, uh, his point about it. Like I feel there could have been a little bit more, especially with the friends in that early part, and he could have strengthened it a little bit more, and then it would have been a four for me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a very strong three. I certainly enjoyed watching it. I thought it was fun to watch. Do you think that they do? I think we've probably talked about this, but I can't remember how where he came out on it. Do you think Star Trek does these whodunits particularly well, or do you think it's a toss up with the with how relatively infrequently they do it, I think they do a pretty good job for a show that's not built around yeah. law and order-esque crime solving. I think it comes mm -hmm. out pretty well. Yeah, I would agree. Because I was thinking about uh, Star Trek VI and how they, they, they handle it in a very similar way where it's 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 a lot more about the characters and how the events re, uh, uh, affect the characters and the decisions and interactions than it is just about finding clues and stuff. So yeah. I, they, they tend to they tend to do a pretty good job. Because they they really just have to they they have to somehow get around the technology problem. Like there there mm. should be tech that solves all of these things, and they have to sort of make it about anything yes. other than the nuts like, and bolts. 
like at the end when uh, when Kira disappears and goes off trying to kill people, and Odo's like, she took the file and then deleted it off my computer. <laughs> right. I was like, dude, your whole fucking space station is a computer. Yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of cloud based function that. But I mean, now I'm. I, but then I'm I'm taking modern technology we have and you know grafting it onto stuff that. Didn't, didn't, exist didn't have it back the, then, yeah. but still, no. It's the same thing. It's like there's really one version of your file. Like you didn't, you didn't send it off to Starfleet yes. or keep it safe or keep it on like a little. Uh, they did have floppy disks at that point, so he could have had something like that. But yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I um, <laughs> she she smashed his word processor after she typed it out. <laughs> she just took the E button off of his typewriter, and he's like, "Well, I can't do, <laughs> I can't write a report with this." Uh, all right, I think we're done. Talking about the darkness and the light. Am I getting the order right there? I think it is darkness and the light. Let me say yes. Darkness and the light. Uh, that's about it for that one. We're going to be back with The Begotten is the next episode. And we'll have a lot to say about The Begotten, I think, because it'll sort of uh, wrap up a storyline that we've been going for a little while. And I think that's it. So you can check out all the social media links, Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Discord is a good place to go. You can support the show financially at patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. You can do the PayPal link, which is in the blurb. You can also buy shirts and cups at our Teespring store. All of that helps support the show and is much appreciated. And I think that's it. Other than that, just recommend uh, to anyone looking for a Star Trek show that they can listen to this show. Do it on Reddit, do it on Twitter, do it on Facebook, whatever, whatever. Much appreciated if you do that. Thank you very much, guys. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. Uh, Night moves in comic stores now. Mm -hmm. And uh, check out Bat-Ass, Batman the Animated Series Show podcast with me and Sean Murphy talking about Batman the Animated Series, if that's your thing. Could be. Could be. Check out Bat-Ass. Could be. Check, check out Real Ripe and Real Rotten, which is going on. We just finished Bohemian Rhapsody and Black Panther, and we're coming up with the B-roll Black for that one. Black Panther. Black Panther. And uh, that'll be out. Well, that this is out after that. Anyway, I think that's pretty much it. I don't have much else to say. I think we're done. Guys, we will see you next time with The Begotten. And then we are almost, well, it's then we have For the Uniform after that. But when I get to For the Uniform, we'll say something. Um, I feel like, should, should, I, should I develop a sign-off? Like be excellent to each other or something, something cheesy like that. Uh, what, what does Shatner say at six to the farthest star and straight on till morning? Or something? Oh, that's from Peter Pan. You can just co-opt Peter Pan's uh, language. You you can come up with a sign off you want. People can um, people can write in the comments below. Let us know what Clay's sign off should be, and we'll we'll determine whether or not it's <laughs> actually good enough or oh, silly boy. enough to do. I, th- I feel like that's a different patron level if you want me to read your sign off at the end of the episode. <laughs> I'm Clay McCormick, and that's news to me. Um, all right, guys, have a good one. We will see you later. <laughs>